compels us to consider him and his kingdom, right? Um, notice the scripture, hey, where's Marie? I need help. Where's Marie? The, the scripture uh, draws us into uh, a prophetic word about, there's Marie, she's going to help me and help you all. Because I didn't think you all would be flipping through your Bibles here uh, for us this morning. It says, for to us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We can all, whether we've come to faith in Christ or those of us who are skeptical of faith in Christ or those of us who are on the way to faith in Christ, may find that we wonder how in the world does Jesus do this thing called peace? For many of us, peace means the absence of war. So in Roman times, they would speak of Pax Romana, which meant this idea of Rome, Roman dominance, without conflict. Now, they themselves were skeptical of this idea and considered it rare, though it was their ambition. Their accomplishment of it was to squelch and suppress all revolts, to squelch and repress any who would try to rise up against Rome. And so we read the passage last week of a bruised reed, a reed that was smushed down. They would do that in the name of peace. That's the way of tyranny and empire, isn't it? Tyranny and empire squelches down, reduces and eliminates so that they can have peace or some form of peace. But Jesus said he was different, and the Scripture promotes him as a king that's different. This passage promotes him as a king who is a child, comes as a child, and gives us peace, a prince of peace. Now, in the Hebrew record, this word peace is shalom. It's also a greeting. Shalom. But behind that greeting and that conveyance of peace was more than just the elimination of war. It was also the restoration of that which was broken. And so for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace, it means that he's the one who is going to put things back together again. Shalom. The Old Testament record of the word shalom has many instances where people were to make shalom by putting things back together again, by
by putting relationships back together, by reconciling and restoring that which had been taken in order to create peace, shalom. The message today is for three kinds of people. It's going to speak to those of you who are ambitious. And your ambition sometimes disrupts peace. It creates brokenness. This message is for the fearful. Because that which we fear disrupts peace, but also indicates that there's something broken or in the world or in us. And then the third is for those who doubt, for the doubting, who find that their doubt hinders them in a capacity for trusting. In all of these, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is presented as the one who speaks of peace and gives peace. So three snapshots from the book of John of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. The first one is from John chapter 14. Follow along as I read from John 14, beginning in verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed Jesus. And so often, because there were two Judases among the disciples, they had to distinguish, right? So this one is Judas, not Judas Iscariot. How's that for, a, for your name? You know, this is Craig, not the Craig who betrayed Jesus. <laughs> well, this is Judas, not Judas Iscariot, who said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not Lost everything there. Test one, two. Ah, good, thanks. I'm back. There we go. Which verse are we on? 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Thank you all. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I 
love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, let us leave. Now Judas, not Judas Iscariot, also shares here in his question a question of ambition. Jesus had just said, I'm revealing myself to you. I have told you all kinds of great and wonderful things, and it's for you. And his ambition comes through in his question. Perhaps it was also Judas Iscariot's ambition. We know it was his brother's and sister's ambition, for they had said to Jesus, no one who wants to be a public figure just does their life in private. And so they too, though they doubted Jesus, had some ambition about Jesus. Ambition. Most of us have some sort of ambition driving our lives. An ambition to achieve. An ambition to do well. An ambition to succeed. And we feel a certain drive and ambition in our lives. I listened to someone at Chaplains in Residence who said, I just want to make a difference. That's a great ambition, isn't it? The ambition to make a difference in some way. And so most of us do have some sort of ambition, and it's on a sliding scale of where it takes us, of whether our ambition and drivenness is actually healthy or it becomes a detriment to our lives. And so the disciples asking, Jesus, don't you have an ambition to make a difference in the world? It's just that his ambition would have probably looked a lot like empire. Run out the Romans. Establish Israeli nationalism there in Jerusalem. And so Jesus seems to ignore the question, doesn't he? But Jesus goes to the heart that he wanted this disciple to have and all his disciples to have. He starts with discipleship. He starts with obedience. He starts with love and communion with God. And then he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. My capacity to put things back together again, I leave with you. And I give it to you not as the world gives. Read Pax Romana. I don't give you Roman peace, but I give you true and genuine human flourishing for all in the communion of God. I give you something greater. When we think of peace and what Jesus would have us be ambitious for, perhaps there's not many examples that show the difference between the two, like Francis of Assisi. Francis, having grown up in a wealthy family, a wealthy business family, kept 
receiving from his father all the wonderful clothes and cloths of the business and then giving it to the poor. Until the father was like, you cannot do that anymore. You're going to send us to the poorhouse. And so the father tried to put together a meeting in which he could be convinced with reason to do something different. Francis walked into the meeting dressed in the great robes and clothes of his father's business and promptly disrobed. Yeah, he got naked. And walked out. And his ambition was with Jesus and the restoration of his church to put people back together again. Listen to Francis's prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Now, that was Francis of Assisi's journey of discipleship. It might not be yours. Keep your clothes on. But when you follow Jesus, he leaves with you peace, even if the world is unpeaceful. The second picture of peace that we have in this passage, or the next passage, or in the Gospel of John, is peace for the fearful. Notice with me from John chapter 19. John 19, or John 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, so this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. This is a resurrection snapshot. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So in this snapshot, Jesus is entering into a room where the disciples are gathered in fear. They are gathered with the doors locked. 
I'm always freaked out when someone manages to get in a locked room. And there's Jesus. He came through. He's in that space. The resurrected Jesus is before them. And his first word to them is peace be with you. It's what they needed because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and authorities on the outside. But on the inside, I bet they were also afraid of Jesus. What is this resurrected Lord? What is his power and his intentions? Is it revenge? Is it the elimination of those who doubted? Is it the elimination of those who ran and were scared? Is it the elimination of Peter who denied that he even knew him? What is the Lord's intentions at this moment, this resurrected Lord who comes in power and enters locked rooms? It's peace. Peace. Not just the absence of war and conflict, but it's peace. Be with you. This restoration power that can hold you together and put you back together again. Restore you to human flourishing. Peace be with you. There's a lot of us who manage our lives because of fear. It's not the Lord and his peace and his love that's managing our lives. It's our fear that's managing our lives, whether it be exams. I mean, why do you study? Because you're afraid you're not going to pass the exam? Or because you wanted to learn something? I know this is really messy. Uh, Why do you work? Because you want to pay your bills. You need the money. Is it because you want to make a difference in somebody's life at that moment as you flip the hamburger? you got to find a way here. What's ruling your life? We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of our love ability. We worry about our finances and illness. We worry about parenting kids if we have some. We worry about the secret life of our children and our friends. Generally in the world, we are worried about war. We're worried about conflict. We're worried about inflation. We're worried about COVID. We're afraid. We find ourselves managed by fear and not the Lord's presence and peace. So Jesus comes to those who are fearful, and he says, peace be with you. (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed out upon them, and they breathed in the Holy Spirit in his presence is his peace and his power. Fear has a terrible way of narrowing and constricting our relationships and our thinking. In 1975, there was a sociologist named Roger Hart. 
He took on a study to see how safe do children feel when they pray. And he went to a small town in Vermont, and he interviewed 86 children. And in this sort of geography interview, he had them walk them about to all the places they play. And he says, to his great surprise, he covered the whole town and even areas outside of the town. He discovered that they had a wide range. We would actually call them free-range children. <laughs> a remarkable freedom. Even the four- and five-year-olds traveled unsupervised through this town. He interviewed the parents. They weren't worried. They weren't worried. He discovered the circle of their relationships was very large. The network of relationships of people in this place was grand. Around, uh, around 2014, he decided it was time to go back to the same town and check it out. And so he tracked this new generation of kids, and he had them show him where they played, where they played alone and where they went. And what he found floored him. He said, they didn't take me very far. They just walked around their own little property. In other words... Their huge circle of freedom had now grown tiny. There was no free range outdoors. Even when the kids are older, their parents say, I need to know where you are at all times. And so then he checked the statistics. Was this little town actually a more dangerous place to play and live? And there was literally no difference in the crime in 40 years. What changed? We became afraid. And when you are afraid, your circle of relationships gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Constricted. Fear must be displaced by the presence of Jesus in our lives for human flourishing. The next passage is John 20, 24 through 29. Right after this, this passage and experience, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, they're still. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In this third picture of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, he is the one who brings peace to the doubting, to the doubtful. To those who may have trusted Jesus in the past, have tasted how good Jesus is, have seen some of his work and miracles, but now in the harshness of life, in the brokenness, brokenness and reality of violence in the world, where trauma clings to you deeply, you may wonder, is Jesus trustworthy? Your trust has been broken, and so is your peace, your shalom. Shall I trust Jesus fully? On this occasion, Jesus comes a week later. For a week, he let Thomas process this issue of, is Jesus really alive? All the other disciples and many of the women were saying, we have seen Jesus. Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. And for a week, Thomas had to keep it in mind that, well, maybe he's not. I haven't seen him. I haven't touched him. I haven't heard him. Thomas was in darkness while the rest of the disciples were in light. Now, I don't understand why, and I fully wonder about this mystery, that Jesus didn't go to Thomas on Thomas's own terms and time. He actually waited until Thomas was with the disciples together. And the only thing I've been able to sort out through the years is that sometimes there are things that Jesus wants to do, but he doesn't do them until we are in community with others. And this is why, as a community, we include the doubting. We include the skeptical. We include those who are not sure or trying to figure it out. I'm glad because I get to be here too. There are times where in the harshness and the brutalness of life and in the perspective of darkness and violence that I feel dismayed myself and I wonder, oh Jesus, where are you? And I feel broken. I feel that sense of peace disturbed. I felt it this week when a friend and family that we have admired so much in life and ministry, and he died this week after an extended illness. And I just thought, oh, God, he was your servant. He's so young, younger than me. And he was needed, right? Where are you, Jesus? Are you trustworthy, Jesus? Can I give you my whole faith and life and obedience no matter what? And then in community, we sing songs, and I hear prayers, and I hear testimonies, 
And God uses that space again to come and say, peace be with you, Craig. Shalom. But then he invites into another process of see, touch, hear. Did you notice what Jesus did? Jesus lifted up his own brokenness and says, yeah, put your hand in the hole. That freaked me out. But the resurrected Jesus still carries in his body the wounds of brokenness in this world. That Jesus returned into heaven with the wounds of brokenness and violence in this world. And he says, there's peace. I've put it all back together again. See? Hear, touch. Sometimes we'll come to a crisis moment in life where we wonder, what should I do with this Jesus and my life? Henry Nouwen, in following Jesus, had become a very famous lecturer at Yale and at Harvard. He was also a priest. And at a juncture in his life, God invited him into community in Canada. And he went to live in the daybreak community in a house for those who were living together with what we would typically say are mental and physical disabilities or challenges. And so he went to live in that place. And he says, while I was living there, I discovered that their liking or disliking of me had nothing to do with all the useful things I had done. They'd never read one of my books. They had never heard one of my lectures. They didn't care about any of my degrees. Notre Dame, Yale, or Harvard was never part of the introductions. They didn't think any of my ecumenical experience was valuable, nor any of the skills that I had developed through all the years of my study and work. It seemed like I was starting life all over again. And he said, in fact, that's what it's like when you enter the kingdom of God. All of our achievements don't matter. What God cares about is like the movement of a child into the kingdom. Do you have faith in him? This is what he asks. Do you have faith? So Thomas said to Jesus, stop doubting and believe. I don't believe it was said with harshness. I think it was said with encouragement, with mercy, with tenderness, with a great but firm invitation. Whether you come as one who is ambitious, one who is fearful, or one who has doubts, Jesus is our peace. And really different and strange and interesting things can happen in our lives when we accept Jesus as our peace. Henry Nouwen went on in living in that house to actually be able to care for the people who lived there. 
On one occasion, a man named Trevor had a breakdown of sorts and had to be entered into a hospital care facility for evaluation. So Henry wanted to go see him. Of course, right? This is what you do for your friends. You want to go see them. So he went to this psychiatric institution and called them up and said, I'd like to come. I'd like to visit with Trevor. And so they arranged a visit with Trevor. But along the way, the authorities in the hospital learned that Henry Nowen is coming to visit. And so they wanted to come. So all the doctors and nurses and practitioners in the hospital wanted to visit with Henry. And so they arranged a lunch with Henry Nowen in the Golden Room, a very special room. When Henry arrived and looked around the Golden Room, he asked, where is Trevor? Where, where is Trevor? I came to see Trevor. And they said, oh, but patients and staff aren't allowed in the Golden Room, typically. No patient has ever been in the Golden Room. No one has had lunch as a patient in the Golden Room. Now, Henry is a very peaceful person, generally, not a confrontational person. But guided by the Spirit, he said, I came to see Trevor. And if Trevor can't be in the Golden Room, neither can I. What to do? Well, the thought of missing lunch with Henry Nowen was too much for the officials. And so they agreed. We will invite Trevor to come to lunch with us. And so there was Trevor seated at the lunch together. A man who in his body and flesh seemed to embody so many challenges. And at one point in the meal, Trevor stands up holding his Coca-Cola in his glass. And he says, a toast. I will offer a toast. And everyone in the group got nervous. What is going to happen? And there, this Trevor, in front of a room full of PhDs, said, if you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. If you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. Sing with me. If you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. If you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, raise a glass. Well, they all sang along. A rousing rendition. It went on and on, and they were almost shouting, every one of them, with smiles on their face. Tell me, who in that room had peace? Who in that room knew the peace of Jesus Christ? Who in this room knows peace? Jesus, remember, 
called peace. From the Old Testament forward, all the way through in his revelation, the picture of peace was not the absence of war. The picture of peace was taking what was broken and restoring it to wholeness. This is the Lord's invitation, that those who are broken might be restored. So we're going to invite us into prayer. This is the very invitation in prayer around peace. Notice this passage, an invitation from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the invitation to meet the Lord in prayer. As the worship team comes forward, they're going to begin to play. And then we're going to have some people on the sides who will pray for you. I'm looking for Peter and Michaela and Ellen and Susan and Brindley, if you would gather on the sides to pray. And so you may say, I don't have the words, but I'd love to have the ministry of God's presence right now for someone to pray for me. Perhaps it's ambition that's derailing your life. Perhaps it's fear that's got you quaking and falling apart. Perhaps it's doubt because in the face of violence or skepticism or peer pressure or just the dark season, you say, I don't have a lot of peace, but I want it. And so our invitation is to pray where you are while this song goes on or to join one of our prayer partners here around with you to pray. Let's just enter into this space and time with Jesus. We've got the doors open. He didn't have to sneak in. And he says, peace be with you.